Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Listening to the Jersey Cools. Hey everybody! What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. That's right, and tonight we are one ghoul short as we um, allow Nate to take a little sabbatical. Yeah, he needs to take a little bit of a break right now. He will be back with us in uh, in a little bit, but in the time being, we have invited some guests to join us from uh, time to time on our episodes, and we're going to kick off our guest episodes tonight. Um, joining us for the Mother of Tears trilogy from Dario Gento, we've got Katie joining us. Woo! Hello, aloha. How do you say hello in Italian? Buongiorno? I think that sounds right. Yes, it is buongiorno. Um, so Katie, why don't you introduce yourself to our crowd? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a horror fan. I'm a horror fiend. Um, I do special effects makeup and I write screenplays. I've written screenplays. Um, I am under a writer's contract to not talk about what screenplays I have written, but, uh, yeah. So now I'm here and I'm talking about horror with you guys. That's really cool. And we are absolutely thrilled to have you on to talk about this because you are kind of a guru on giallo. 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 All right, I got it. I got it. But yes, we are here to talk about the uh, the the Three Mothers trilogy. So that's Suspiria, Inferno, and Mother of Tears. So ladies, if it's okay with you guys, I think we should just jump right in. Yeah, we'll go chronologically and we'll start with 1977's Suspiria. Um, and I could synopse these movies, but they all basically have the same plot uh, in the sense of there is, uh, of the three mothers, um, each of these movies is focused on one of them. And basically the plot of the movie is an unsuspecting uh, young female has uh, unknowingly encountered the witch. Um, some bad shit happens and they need to defeat the witch and hilarity ensues. And lots of pink goo. And lots and lots of pink blood, yes. Tons of pink, which which I will say, I, I was trying to do some research because, Jackie, I know you love the pink blood as I've been listening more and more. Um, and from what, I can, from what I can discern, it's paint. That's why it's the runny orange-red. But also, isn't that one of the characteristics of Jallo with, like, the, the uber yes. the uber violence? So, but because I've already been named a guru, I feel like I should lay down some ground rules for that. So the, the first, of course, is um, Jallo means yellow, which is the cover of these detective stories, the mysteries um, in Italy. Uh, prior to these movies being made. So uh, then there was a lot and Argento started it with actually his previous trilogy, which is the Animal Trilogy. Um, that's Cat and Nine Tales, uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And uh, that's all grounded in reality. Uh, the killer wears black gloves. Um, it, there is always an outsider who is somehow randomly drawn into the mystery. Um, and then of course, somehow weirdly connected to the mystery. Um, and then the bright colors that we all know and love from that, uh, genre. And this is the first that took it into the supernatural. So I think that's really important to note while we're talking about Giallo. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Cause I had no idea about any of that. Actually, the history of 
giallo now. <laughs> I I think I've been saying like giallo forever and I don't I don't care. It's just fun to say and it's fun to watch and there's really bad ADR and I'm good at all of it. I'm just gonna throw out there that of the three mothers, I think um Suspirium's like weak sauce. I mean we know why, because of the whole trilogy, but like she just of all the powers to have, you can be the mother of darkness, you know, Tenebrarum, the mother of tears, Lacharum. <laughs> but yeah, like you have one who's the mother of tears, which is so legit. One who's the mother of darkness and then the mother of size. My high school kids are the mothers of size. I'm not impressed with that one. The weakest of the mothers, but the strongest of the movies. Because this was by far of the three the best one. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so yeah, so let's get into some of the good stuff about this. Um, where do we want to start? Well, I can say that right off the bat, the very first death in Suspiria, I felt really set the tone with with how graphic it was because the chest was opened up. You saw the still beating heart when it was stabbed, and then she fell through the stained glass ceiling. And instantly, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, confession time. This is my first viewing of Suspiria. Hmm. <laughs> it's like the little bits and pieces I've seen just never start to finish. So for me, this first viewing that set the tone for the movie, and I was I was down to clown from like the word go. I'm like, yep, let's do that. I'm so into it. For me, I, I think the forest scene, the scene where she's running through the forest, one, because it's incredibly absurd that there is a taxi cab sitting out in front of your academy and you don't immediately go to the cab and said you run into the forest. But also just the black forest, um, a lot of the way he's staged, not just Asperia, but also Inferno is like a Grimm's fairy tale. And these fairy tales happening in forests and the Black Forest in Germany being kind of the center point in Freiburg. Um, I feel like it mirrors, it really, it sets that tone so well. A lot of people talk about the scene in the airport where it's like she's walking into the fantasy because the goblin witch, witch plays. But it really, I think her running through the forest is really the moment when it turns into this fantasy fairy tale. I think you're I think you're very right about that. I think it does have that very like grim kind of almost like all of the things we we were scared of as children coming to fruition uh aesthetic and I kind of dig that about this. I'm also sad that the black forest isn't just a type of cake. It's also a real thing. <laughs> what if you were eating black forest cake in the black forest? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Then you'd definitely summon the three mothers. I, I can't even deal with that right now. My fire alarm went off tonight. There's audio problems. I feel like they're going to be here by the end of the evening. Um, so my first note on this, and you can tell just where my headspace was, because I pretty much gl- completely glazed over the beautiful uh, Hallmark opening sequence. And I wrote down that it's fascinating to see how the women in the Academy interact with one another. They are such fucking a-holes. <laughs> I, was, I was reading an article about how the only thing they talk about are um, shoes and names and rooms. Which, I don't remember what the name of the test is, but they don't talk about boys. Oh, so that, yeah, that's something. There's that test where, like, you know, if in a scene they talk about men or men problems, women in a scene, it denotes some sort of feminist overlay. I wish I knew the name of that test. Um, but they don't talk about any of that. They just talk about shoes and rooms and how annoying the women are, the instructors. Yeah, yeah. Um, which they are, for the record. Well, they're 
<laughs> I guess that's their excuse, yeah. But, like, the, the only males in the movie are either helpers or they're totally subservient in some way. Which, frankly, delights me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then what is it? Um, Pavlos, the story she tells about him, and I, I went and I searched to see if this was in some sort of folklore or in some sort of mythology, because there's a lot of mythology in, and folklore in Suspiria. And I went to look to see the teeth story, the story where his teeth are decaying, so he tore them out and then he got new ones. Yeah. That she tells to Susie when she arrives. And I can't find anything, which means, as far as I'm concerned, that's completely organic to this story. And it's insane to me. Yeah, but he just, he did it because, you know, he wanted to be presentable. And it's almost like this feminine quality that, to be something and then but he does it yeah it, and it's fascinating i feel like there's a lot of that gender reversal in this whole series mm-hmm. where like the men become the vulnerable and the caretakers of the children and like i i dig it like i, I think that's one of the things argento does well in all three of these movies so fun fact and katie you probably already know this but argento claimed that suspiria was based on a true story that his grandmother told him about when she was young she went to a dance studio to study and she ran out in the middle of the night because she was convinced all the women there were witches. I was privy to this information and I was interested to find out that, read a little bit. And, you know, his co-writer um, was her, uh, Daria Nicolet- Nicoletti. I'm looking through my notes right now. Um, she claims that it was her grandmother. So there's this kind of little like bashing of heads where Dario is like, oh yeah, my mom. And then Daria Nicoletti is like, no, it was my grandmother. Oh, that's so funny. Well, I, I guess Daria also got a little upset that she, he didn't give him any, give her any credit on Inferno. So yeah, so there's bad blood there. Yeah, there's a little bit. All right. So I'm going to throw something out there that I think both of you are going to be appalled by. I fucking hated the soundtrack. I, you know what? It's not that I dislike, you know, I'm not, I don't even want to say I disliked it. My note is, it says the whole movie, epic music. And I felt that like, even if, if parts where like it, and I think this happens through all three movies where sometimes it's just somebody walking like down a hallway and the music is so epic. It doesn't seem to match what's happening in the actual scene like it almost seems like overkill does it really need to be that dramatic when someone is simply and it wasn't even like i'm running away from something it was just i think it was actually an inferno more than any that the music seemed to be unnecessarily dramatic oh see i thought inferno was better than suspiria like it toned it down a little bit katie what do you think so i actually it's funny i was like thinking this the whole time jackie was mentioning it is that I I watched this with my husband and both of us were kind of feeling like Inferno didn't feel as quick. Like the pace, there was something wrong with the pacing, even though it was a really like visually fantastic and like well-timed film, something was off. And we, we brought it down to the soundtrack. We were like, there was something wrong with the soundtrack. It was the sweeping uh, orchestral almost classical type stuff. And it wasn't until the end when they did like the operatic, like Suspiria, like that, that song that all of a sudden things felt like they were going. 
So if anything, I felt like an inferno, it slowed it down. And, and then, um, and there was a lot of footsteps. There was a lot of ambient sound. Like I, I felt like in Inferno and in Suspiria, there was a lot of like click, clack, click, clack of footsteps and, um, the artist definitely had a field day on this one. Yeah. But then when you get to Mother of Tears, it's a very modern, like you don't hear the extra moment and it has a very subtle sound. Yeah. It's, it's a nice balance, but it makes it the most boring movie. <laughs> That's, you're not wrong. And, and I feel like Dario Argento doesn't belong in modern filmmaking. I, I was just going to say, ahead, but, I know, yeah. yeah, we are jumping ahead, but I think that is another reason why I was disappointed with the movie Mother of Tears because I was, I, I didn't realize it was a modern film. So I was expecting another one of these late 70s, early 80s, you know, giallo uh, aesthetic. And instead I get a movie that came out in 2007. And to me, I think that, actually took away from the movie because I wanted to see that like soft focus, colorful lighting, like everything that the first two movies had aesthetically I felt was missing from Mother of Tears. And to me, I thought it was to its detriment. Absolutely. Yeah. And and like kind of calling back to what you guys said about soundtracks, like one of the things that I love about Suspiria and maybe not as well done in Inferno, but definitely there is like, you really do take the ride with them wherever they're walking, whatever they're doing. You're like, the pacing is always, he just takes his time and you're there along for the ride. And in mother of tears, I think he tried to modernize his style and it just didn't translate well. Yeah. I feel like there were certain scenes where that was okay. Like the scene when Asia Argento is on the train and she's, um, trying to get away from both the uh, Asian woman and the detective. Mm-hmm. That, I felt, had a little moment of that. But those moments, I know what you mean. I agree with you. Those mov- moments in that movie were far and few between. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, I think he was trying to match his audience when he should have just been true, like the time, sign of the times, uh, when he should have just been true to what he had created before if he had created a true sequel um that was that was not just thematically he's often talked about and this is timely because um you know the new Suspiria uh Luca I'm not going to say his last name because I always butcher it Argento came out and was like you know Suspiria is a feeling um it's more of an emotion so and then he talks about how creating it is either a copy or a different film so blah blah blah. Um, essentially he's not an advocate but um (laughs) the point being that it's Suspiria is a feeling and I think he tried to continue that tradition in Inferno and if he had chosen to continue it for Mother of Tears it would have been this amazing experience but instead he chose to go with modern audiences probably aren't going to like this I'm going to try to go box office let's you know create something more modern and then you get the creepy white witch and which is like the down point of the movie I would say yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, no. All right, so let's let's get on to Susie. Susie Banyan. Uh, a good Final Girl? What do you guys think? So Final Girls are kind of a slasher, so I don't know if I feel comfortable calling her a Final Girl, considering this isn't technically a slasher. 
Hmm. Okay, so th this is fun to play with, because, like, if I think of, like, Psycho, because, like, right, Dario Argento has, like, the uh, the reputation of being, like, the Italian Hitch Hitchcock, right? If you trace Giallo, <laughs> I just, like, look at Jackie when I say it now. If you trace the roots, it's very much a whodunit. Like, I'm going to maybe try to play off of the, this could be an early, an early advent or, or evolution of, of the slasher. Well, I guess it's, Two kinds of slasher, right? There's the there's the Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Halloween, where you know who's killing people, and that is the killer. But then there's also like um, Prom Night and um, Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, Black Christmas and Friday the Thirteenth, the the first one where you don't even know Pamela. And so you do, you have both routes, don't you? So that, that is a good argument. I can see both sides where there's the mystery element, but there's also the ones where it's like, you know, who's killing you. Yeah. I think inherently the, the mythology and the supernatural kind of kills my argument. I, I, could you have a slasher with supernatural? I'm trying to think of some. Yeah, that's me too. I'm like it racking my brain. See, here's another, a small gripe. I don't give a shit about Susie. <laughs> How many of them do you give a shit about, though? None. <laughs> you really care about any of the women in these? Like, not just women, I'm sorry. Just, like, any of them. Mark from Inferno. <laughs> You're right. Mark's such a douche. Like, it's not... Again, I think this is where Mother of Tears fails, and this is where Suspiria and Inferno win all, is that you don't have to care about the characters. Like, you're experiencing something, and you're going to sit and experience it, and... Okay. <laughs> No, that's that's a really good point. I think the characterization is lacking and it almost like it's almost like he gets away with it because you're so engulfed in the mythology. Like the mothers are probably the characters I have the most emotional attachment to. The first moment that like we really started to figure out what was going on, I instantly went to the internet because I wanted this I wanted this lore to be real. Like I wanted the the mother, the story of the mothers, I wanted it to be real. Not necessarily, you know, people actually being killed by them and their reincarnation, but just yeah. the folklore of these, you know, these three women that basically created witchcraft and have come all these years. And, you know, I love that like one settled in New York, one settled in Germany, one, you know, one is in Rome and they're, they're essentially, they're all over the world. I don't know. I was kind of disappointed that the lore was... The lore was created for the movies. Yes and no. I mean, I'm sure, I, I know Marissa has probably read all of this. I'm, I've been really excited. So talk about Thomas De Quincey and his, and his story. <laughs> no, hit us with it because it's so good. Okay, so uh, Thomas De Quincey is um, kind of the father of addiction literature. Uh, he's, he wrote, um, it's called... Uh, Confessions of an English Opium Eater. Uh, that's his famous one, but he also wrote this book called Suspiria de Profundis, which uh, is called, which is Sighs from the Depths. Depths. <laughs> um, and so in this book, he wrote Lavana and Our Ladies of Sorrow, which featured these same three meters. <laughs> um, which, of course, uh, Lacrimorum, Suspirium, and tenabrium to i can't, it's the one i can't say tenabrarum um so he wrote and essentially it dealt with archetypes so there's the three fates the three graces they talk about it a little bit in mother of tears and it's essentially these 
they deal with grief, sorrow, anything man-made um, that could hurt us, especially specifically, especially for lacrimorum is the death of children, um, which is why you can see like in Mother of Tears, there's like explicit child murder and eating of children. So, and all of this mythology, first of all, Thomas de Quincey is one of the first, like the idea of an archetype didn't really exist in the time that he wrote this, but he recognized that these archetypes exist and that, and they exist in these, this triumvirate, this cycle of three. And um, the Maters actually are uh, a German and Celtic tradition um, where you can find, they, they found, they went super underground when the Christians and the Catholicism came through Europe and the witch trials, and we can talk about all of that, but it's very dense. Um, they went very underground, they're very secretive, but they found these votives of these childbearing Levana uh, triplicate mothers. And it is thought to believe that those are the mothers in Germany and they always have the right breast out, which is, we see that in mother of tears. Um, so they could in some alternate universe exist. I'm fascinated with how this all plays into childbirth because, and we've spoken about this on the podcast before. There is this like very common trope of the woman who does not give birth becomes the witch. Like that's the narrative, like the old woman or the woman. So it's interesting to me that in Thomas de Quincey's work, it's like these three companions were the companions of the goddess of childbirth. And she was one who protected women in labor. And then it kind of becomes this like alternate version of it where they're very much destroying that matriarchal trope. I don't know. I, there's something there that I'm trying to play with in my own head right now. Yeah, what's weird is when, when you read Thomas de Quincey's story, um, it, it sounds like they're almost a preparation or a comfort. Like his original story deals with them, I mean, as horrific figures, but in the same way as helping us deal with horrific things that could happen in our lives, which is why it's so weird to make them the agents as well as the comforters, the the people who help us deal with the grief. Because when I originally read the story, I didn't get any sense other than Mother Tanabrim. Um, <laughs> I didn't get any sense that they were malicious figures. They're figures who are like, okay, if that baby dies, because in that time, you know, modern healthcare was not what it is today. Death in childbirth, as well as death of the child was a big deal. And back then, they, I mean, they would attribute a, a sudden death during childbirth to the work of the devil. Oh, yeah. So it makes, I mean, it makes sense, you know, and it makes sense that the things that became the comfort would evolve into the, the, the evil themselves. Like, it almost kind of fits in my head when we think about women and how we've been oppressed by modern, like, religious ideology, you know? Yeah, well, and I find what's interesting, too. I love, I love that Mark was the the guy in Inferno, because I think something that gets overlooked, especially in the Salem witch trials is that men were persecuted too. And I don't want to step on the, you know, lady parade, uh, but the, the men were also accused as being witches. And when Inferno in Tenabrium, when she comes forward and is like, I'm going to change you, I'm going to make you part of me. It makes you think like he, he could also be susceptible. He's a witch that we're going to see in Mother of Tears, if Mother of Tears was created 
you know, before 2007. You do. You get that sense from, from it, for sure, um, which is interesting. And I like that that there's males mixed in the fold in both uh, Inferno and Mother of Tears because it kind of does – I don't know, like, it takes the focus off of just the same old, like, analysis of witch and feminism, you know? Like, I don't know. I think that these three characters, these three uh, machers, really do own their, like, they're feminist as fuck. Like, they don't give a crap. And I love it. I'm all about it. Like, I'm ready to take my right boob out. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, so, all right. So, anything else about Suspiria? I have one very important thing that I'm really excited to talk about. Can we talk about the fat bat attack? <laughs> yes. The fat bat was so fat. Oh my gosh. That They must have been feeding that thing, I don't know what, little children or something because, and it was just so, like, I kind of wanted as a pet. I Like, it was kind of adorable and I feel like it was just like this prop that was pumped so full of blood so that it would bleed through the towel. <laughs> And I, I, I saw it and I forgot how much, like every time I watch this movie, I forgot how much it affects me. Like how much I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my God, it's a fat bat. It's, it's so cute. I know. I want one. Um, I, I laughed. And then of course I went right to that thing from the internet with the little girl and the freaking bats. What? Freaking bats. Halloween's in my soul. <laughs> About. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to pull it up for you. It's just like this little girl, and like I guess there's like a Halloween decoration behind her of, of bats, and she was like, I love bats, like freaking bats. Also, I I did uh did anybody else feel like every window in that dance academy basically looked like a labia, or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> I was going with the Chrysler building, but <laughs> potato potato. You know, the one thing I will say about uh, the end of Suspiria is that if I were Susie, like, everything is starting to shake and break and fall apart and windows are exploding. And this bitch has taken her time to soak it all in and look at everything as it's being destroyed. And she waits until she's, like, five rooms away to start running. Oh, yeah. True. But, yeah, no, true. You're not wrong. I mean, she's just just the audience at that point. You want to see the beautiful thing fall so my other big gripe again is just how fucking easy all these mothers go down like in at least in inferno they had to earn it a little more but like we could talk about that in a minute but yeah like okay you're a little white blob you're dead which i take offense to and then the dog kill was pretty legit oh okay so interesting fun thing about dog kill is that so hecate hecate is a um witch mother essentially in real life i'm not talking about three mothers three mates uh, yeah, she's, I mean, I, I think a lot of people listening probably know who Hecate is. And she, um, one of her sacrifices of choice, a uh, thing that she likes to be sacrificed to her, is a black dog. And so the dog being used as an instrument of destruction, I think, I thought was pretty interesting. My dog is sitting right here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my puppy, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not an instrument of evil, I swear. Now we're going to move on to 1980s Inferno. Yup. And in this one, apparently what I learned, my big takeaway here, is when you write a book that is the guide to how to deal with some terrible, horrible secret of the world, that you just leave them everywhere. You just throw them around and make them really easy to find. Oh, yeah. Multiple copies. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. And make them very easily accessible to anyone. Yeah. Wait, despite the fact that... I, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but his, the introduction is his friend saying these are excerpts from a diary and I'm publishing them <laughs> like because I feel like they should be published in the original Latin. Right, but I'm going to make them trade paperbacks so that everybody can have a copy. And, and every single person in these films, which is right next door to the haunted house that the mother lives in, have at least five copies of these books. Yeah, and how come the old guy on the crutches could own a copy? Nobody would kill him. I don't know, because he's selling them to other people? I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> so in this second um in the series from 1980 we get um mark and what's his sister's name rose yeah, Mark and rose and then the red or the rosa is under rose which is a witch thing so mm. Mm, look at that and we get a very um specific set of instructions from eve Orelli, who is the architect mm-hmm. of their houses and also an alchemist, which was my first major in college. <laughs> wow, wonderful. Did you ever make any gold? No, that's when I gave up, when I realized that you actually couldn't make gold. <laughs> well, then I'm signing off. Goodbye. Good night, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> this relationship is going to be useless to me. I one of One of my first thoughts with this movie is I'm all about, like, the explorer attitude that Rose had when she's, like, going into the basement and then she's going down the stairs and then suddenly there's this like weird hole in the ground oh that's where all the water is oh well you know she drops her keys she's gonna have to try to retrieve her keys and then she goes underwater holds her breath for a ridiculously and unhumanly long time synchronized swimmer by the way like i was just like insanely jealous of like this world within a world that she found because, like, I'm sorry, if I find that, I instantly, like, I need some, like, fucking scuba gear or, like, fu- like floaties. Because I am, I I need to go down and explore that. Like, I, I got, like, totally sucked into the movie just from that alone. Wait, you're saying to me that you would willingly go down there? Yeah. I mean, the fu- my note, my note says, girl, you brave. Girl, you need a bra. Girl, but- you in danger. <laughs> Um, but no, like I, I would like, if, if I could hold my breath for as long as her, like, I love the idea of like this, this world within a world. And I mean like, okay, like, yeah, it's in the basement, like the sub basement of this basement or whatever, but I don't know, just this whole other world existing and she's been living in ignorance on top of it. And then she's starting to discover it. Like I was, I was just so all about that. No, yeah, no, not me at all. I, my (laughs) thought was you couldn't fucking pay me enough to go jump in that hole. First of all, after a lifetime of poor choices, I have very little breath to hold. (laughs) And second of all, that's like the fuck, you know the scene in Beetlejuice where they open the door and the fucking things are flying up in the air? That's what that is to me. Like a fucking nightmare. There's no way I'm going down there. Okay, so I have this like split because I am 100% like Jackie on board right now. I want to go swimming in that. I want to be a part of it. You know, part of your world. I'm Ariel right now. (laughs) Then there's another part of me that is like, okay, I could never hold my breath that long. How dirty is that water? I'm going to get hepatitis, which Argento had for most of the filming of this film. Um, (laughs) Like there's so many like problematic things. And so I'm, I'm definitely right in between your two impulses right now. 
Also, I think it's really lovely that they finally found the Titanic. <laughs> you know, I'm going to talk a big game about wanting to go down there. But the moment something touches my foot, like, I'm gone. I, I think I might be gone. Because that's the same way, like, when I go in the ocean. Everything is all well and good. And then a seaweed, like, brushes the top of my foot. And suddenly I'm Jesus walking on water as fast as I can out of that fucking ocean. So, <laughs> no, no. I'd like to think that I would, the explorer in me wants to stay down there to continue to go through things and look. But, yeah, you know, I, I mean, maybe that, that rotted, bloated, waterlogged body would get me to go up to the surface. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But uh, I, I do want to say that um, there was a little bit of a theme that I noticed in both this movie and um, other Dario Argento movies, specifically Deep Red, where once again, uh, we have someone that goes into a library and, and, steals a book. and steals a book. Like, that's what a library is, okay? You check books out, right? Same, same note. Wait, Listen, I had the same note because we said the same thing in Deep Red. You're in a library. Just check that shit out. Don't yeah. steal it. Don't steal it out of a book. That's what they're there for. Yeah, that's the real, <laughs> the real evil in this movie to me. And when that, and when the girl is in the library, when she goes down into the basement trying to find her way out, is that and when she gets to the cauldron? No, I, I just I, when we when we were in that basement, all I could think of was it's an it's an alchemist, right? Right. There. They're performing alchemy. It's like Varelli. Varelli was an alchemist. This is another alchemist. Um, I mean, because I'm trying to figure out in my brain what, why would this be below a library? Um, and that's all I wanted to say. Go ahead. My <laughs> big thought in that, and you can tell just what a fucking dingbat I am. I'm watching the scene, and when they showed like the cauldron, I was like, "Shit, man, that looks like when I make Thanksgiving gravy." <laughs> No, it looked like Hollandaise. Oh, yeah, it did. You know what? I'm trying to remember where this happened in the movie, but another Dario Argento trope is a character destroying property that doesn't belong to them. Because it happened in Deep Red, (laughs) and now it happened again in this movie where somebody is fucking... I don't remember what happened in this movie. But uh, this is the part of the movie with, um, with Mark and Sarah... Yeah, um, library thief. Yes, Mark and Sarah, who I don't know what acting style they're going for, <laughs> but they both have a look on their face all the time like they just accidentally shit themselves. That's what you get when you're trying to solve a mystery. That's okay. fair. That's fair. It's seriously, Mark had that like, oh God, look on it. Like he had the weirdest look on his face. And even Sarah, like just the way that like she would just be walking down the street. I, I can't explain like... She would go through a range of seven facial features in under two seconds that really didn't quite make sense. But like at the same time, it seems like she was giving it her all. So I'm going to applaud her on that. <laughs> I don't know. They just had this look on their face that was just really confusing to me. A lot of them. Jackie, she had a lot of feelings. She did have a lot of feelings. Also, I have a note that um, I was kind of convinced that that apartment building where um, Rose lived, where Mark ended up at the end, mm-hmm. is that apartment building from rosemary's baby because that's what it reminded me of no because rosemary's baby had a courtyard ah good call i could be saying this completely out of turn and someone is going to come online and say hey no it actually does have a courtyard but i i believe one of the major differences is that that courtyard is not there somebody explain the keys and the soles of your shoes to me because i don't get that Okay, so so key one is a bittersweet smell, and we get that in 
in this movie, we get that twice. So there's the bittersweet smell. That's the first key. The second key is the picture of the mother, which we see in the cellar in the underwater scene. And then the third is under the soles of your shoes. So my, my interpretation of that is that each one of these houses, despite the fact that we never see it, each one of them has the secret passageway that we see in Inferno. Yeah. So there has to be, there's like a, you know, a little granny suite that is only accessible through these uh, support beam passages, so to speak. Um, That's the only thing that I can think that makes sense for how these houses were designed since they were all designed by the same Varelli. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, okay, now I get it. So the other thing, and this might be where our friendship ends, Katie, but this movie only confirms my firm belief that cats are evil assholes sent here to kill us all. (laughs) And I'm disconnecting. No, no, I, okay, so I have a wonderful cat and I love him very, very much, but he's, he is an asshole. So there are so many cats and I wanted to say this because I feel like this is really important. Um, Rose disappears, gets killed, right? And then we see a lot of meat montage and then the cats are being fed and it isn't exactly sequential, but there is the insinuation that she has been fed to the cats. Oh shit, I didn't get that. No, I did. Because the same thing happened in Suspiria. Someone had died, and the very next scene is the the maid chopping up meat when she's laughing with the other maid. Oh my gosh, I didn't even see. I've seen Suspiria like 10 times, and I've never noticed that. Yeah, I, I assumed that like the people that were dying were, were being, some of them were being chopped up. Y'all are some dark bitches. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> well, I mean, considering in Mother of Tears, we actually see them pulling guts out of a child, I, although it happens like halfway through the film. Um, yeah, I think cannibalism is something that I haven't thought about that much, but it's definitely something that is, is happening in all three of the haunted mother houses. Yeah, shit, I didn't think of, I haven't even, yeah, I haven't even wrapped my brain around that, you're right. Yeah, my, my last note on Inferno is I don't like it when humans hurt the cats, but I do like it when the cats hurt the humans. Now, once I watched Mother of Tears, this made sense, but I was devastated by the hot dog guy's choice to just run into the water and fucking stab him. I know this. I know this one. So so they created a plexiglass bridge for the hot dog vendor to run across the pond to make it look like he is running on water. Um, they wanted it to look as though he was supernaturally imbued with the power from the, the mother at mother Tenabrium. Um, and, but the problem was that the, the whole thing was too shallow. So it just looks like he's running across the thing that killed the guy. Yeah, well, cause you have a guy on crutches and he actually couldn't walk. Like the actor was, he actually fell during that scene. Um, so it, it makes it hard when you're trying to work with this, you know, shallow water. Oh, yeah, that kind of makes me feel bad. And then who knew Professor Arnold at the end turns out to be Vernetti? Vernetti. Vernetti? Vernetti. 
And then Mark, that dope, fell for the oldest trick in the book. Oh my god. Okay, so... He's like, come here. I guess here for you. <laughs> the end, when we get the reveal of the witch, I guess through the mirror. Oh yeah, yeah. And it turns out to be a skeleton Grim Reaper Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the witch, the witch is the witch. She's just, you know, glamouring herself to look like death to scare Mark. Oh no, I, I did get that. For some reason, like, yeah. I just wasn't prepared for the Walmart Grim Reaper costume to come out. I don't, I don't know what I expected, but at the same time, though, I did enjoy that she was like, I'm death. But yeah, just the way that she looked, I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, like that she was like the harbinger of all things death, too. And they, they say, I mean, according to the lore and um, what we know of Mater, uh, Mater Tenabrum, she, uh, so she's the youngest and the cruelest, so to speak. So, um, that's how they talk about her. And not only that, she's the mother of darkness and she, so there's this whole thing with keys. Um, and, uh, Lacrimorum has the most keys and the keys are entrances to worlds. So, and by worlds, I mean, I guess it's like countries, like she can go every, anywhere in the world. Um, Suspiria only has one key. Okay. And uh, T has um, has no keys. She doesn't have any of key of the keys. So she is only the master of her own domain, uh, according to the original story in which she was written. So she only has power in that space. So it makes sense that she would try to use all of the power that she had to scare one person, even though she was dying. Because she doesn't have any other influence. Like, her house is it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's not like Lacrimorum in Mother of Tears where she can bring witches from all around the world. Wow, that kind of just makes me like that movie more all Me sudden. too. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, Lacrimorum is really amazing in Mother of Tears. Like, her capacity, it's just not represented well. No, it's no. not. And, and Jesus, yeah. I mean, if, if there's nothing else, we can just jump ahead 27 years to... To the Mother of Tears from 2007. That's right. And in this one, a little nepotism did not serve them well because Asia Argento stars as our protagonist in this one, Sarah. Weinstein Company production, by the way. Deeply ironic considering all of the shit that would unfold. So yeah, so this, apparently Sarah's mother in this one was the one who weakened Mater Support. Support. Damn it. Suspirium? Suspirium. Suspirium. Doing that because it is my favorite song from Inferno, and it's kind of the only song I care about in Inferno. So that's the only yeah, that's the only memorable one in yeah. Inferno. Like in Suspiria, I could still picture like I can hear it in my head. So I guess it is more effective in that way. It's just a lot. Well, there's there's the whispering of witch, 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 and then there's Suspiria, and then there's nothing. I don't know any of the music from Mother of Tears. <laughs> that's because I don't think there was anything worth noting in that music. Despite the fact that it was Claudio Simonetti, who, goblin, keyboardist, composer, same guy, not a good soundtrack. So in Mother of Tears, we have a modern movie, which is something I wasn't expecting. I expected this to be like, I don't know, like 1985, 1980 something, whatever. Um, But no, we are in modern times. um, and in this one, it starts with a uh, an urn that has been found buried underground, and it gets sent to a museum in Rome 
to be, you know, to be looked at and, you know, analyzed. And instantly the art history, art restoration nerd that I've always wanted to be, I'm, I'm put on edge because they're looking at the urn and the girl puts on gloves to examine it. So, okay, good. Step one, let's have a sterile environment. And then she takes like a fucking palette knife and starts scraping the wax off of the urn to get it open. And then they both, without gloves, just start handling shit inside. So that, right off the bat, made me a little angry. Okay, to be fair, the wax was melted on the urn by the father who sent it to them. I know, but I'm... However, I agree with you on the fact that as soon as that thing was open, they took off their gloves and it was like, gloves off, let's enjoy what's happening in that urn. Start touching stuff, let's just put it on the dirty table, let's just move stuff out of the way. Yeah, that, one, guys, that one bothers you me. You guys are burying the most horrifying part of the scene, and that is that they fucking unleashed that terrifying monkey. <laughs> <laughs> like that like seriously monkeys like that ever since outbreak <laughs> i had this weird thing with monkeys and like that fucking monkey is exactly why i hate monkeys dude and you know what i will say let's give it to the monkey for doing his job because i love when he like he's looking for her and he can't find her so he gives up and he walks away and then she makes a noise and he's like what a noise and goes right back to running after her I was such a fan of that monkey. Agreed. Scared shitless of him. But you know what? He had a job and he did it well. No, fuck him. <laughs> okay, am I the only one who finds it interesting that prior to this film, there have been no monkeys? Like, why didn't they all have monkeys? Because I feel like it would have stopped a lot of the death of these mothers. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, you're yeah. right. A little, like, a little, like, guard monkey would be, like, a Prey for Mojo monkey would be a yeah. really good asset. Yeah, like, because cause I think Tenabrium, uh, Inferno, I'm just going to say Inferno from now on. I think she had the cats, and that backfired. But if they, if they had monkeys, it would have been much more effective. Agreed. You are the best performing of all the animals, if you ask me. In, in this movie, I feel two of the downfalls of the movie, uh, because the story itself- Just two? I, well, I'm going to say two. The story itself is an interesting story, and I think the biggest detriment to this movie is that the acting is atrocious. Like, it, it's just down and out. The acting is bad. Um, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When she cried, <laughs> it was arguably, to me, reminiscent of Stephanie Tanner on Full House. <laughs> Where she would like look at the camera and then like these heavy like clearly they put drops in her eyes uh -huh, or something, yeah. but that it was moving in a weird way. Like <laughs> my other problem is it's trying to follow the it, it's trying to have the what am my words um, aesthetic? No, well, I guess yeah. It's trying to do the Jalo thing with the over the top violent deaths like the very graphic violent deaths and in the two movies from 1977 and 1980 it it was still very violent but it i think for the time it looked good you know for 1977 it that that heart opening in the beginning of suspiria that looked good when we skip to the year 2007 that first death had all of the all of the how, I don't know how to word it. Basically, it didn't look good. 
it looked like the special effects from Dead Alive, which took place, you know, like fucking like 20 years before. The the special effects in this one looks like they just used the same methods they did in 1977 when they had all of the um they had all of the resources of 2007 and it, it just it it looked it looked poorly done i think is what i'm mostly trying to get to i appreciate that they're trying to stay practical and not go cgi but there was just something very elementary about the special effects I totally, like, all I want to say is it had all of the tropes, but none of the aesthetic. Yeah. It tried so hard to be back where it was with the other two, but it's just come too far apart. Yeah, like, you, something you said that I think of is in Suspiria, first of all, it's the last time they used the tri-film Technicolor, which mm -hmm. is the, like, the three-layering Wizard of Oz stuff. And um, they, instead of using uh, standard gels for color emphasis, they used sheets of fabric. And it was just so they could get a different feel from it. And in this one, it was like, it's 2007. Let's not do that. Let's instead respond in a modern way. And it failed. And that, like, exactly what you were saying is it, it actually makes it less of an experience to to watch the film because of it. Yeah, and it's, it's ironic to me because it's like reading about the film, it seems like they blew their budget on special effects, but it's like they couldn't decide where they wanted to be. They couldn't decide if they wanted it to feel like their old stuff or if they wanted to be new and they got stuck in the middle and it totally failed. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys on that. Another thing that I thought that I thought was very cool but also completely out of place in this movie was the comic book style backstory of um, oh, Varelli. Uh, uh, yeah. Varelli. His his backstory. I thought it was so cool that they did it comic book style, just because I'm a fan of comic books. Oh God, yeah, the drawings. It was so completely out of place in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, wait, am I in Kill Bill? Like, what's going on yeah. right now? Oh, and you know what? Maybe one of you guys can answer this. They keep referring to the first age of witches. What was I missing there? I think, well, I think that was post-Roman uh, Empire. Okay. Because so, that's what it sounded. It sounded to me like they were saying that the witches were responsible for the fall of Rome. And therefore the witch's empire happened. And then after that, of course, Catholicism and Christianity came in and we all know what happened there. So th th that was my interpretation of it, but I don't know if that's what they were going for. That was just what I felt was. Okay, no, that makes sense. That makes more sense than anything I could deduce from it. My one positive is that I thought the train bookstore scene was fun. Like, you're right. The, the kill was stupid. Like when she smashed right. her head in the door. But- I enjoyed that scene. I thought it was a good, tense, like, fun yeah, little rock. That, that's the scene I was talking about earlier where it does have these little glimpses of the pacing of the original two movies where they capture kind of those moments. And that train and the bookstore scene is definitely one of those moments where they actually captured the feeling and the pacing from Inferno and Suspiria. Yeah. 
Agreed. I think they did also a really good job because that was, I think, the only really tangible moment, the moment where we saw, like, in the film that the three films were connected because both Suspiria and Inferno have the witch being invisible. And we see the invisibility and the shine and the glint uh, in both those films. And we don't see uh, Lacrimorum become invisible, but we get to see the white witch version, which is H.R. Argento's character. And so she's able to harness that same power. It's, it's one of, I would say, the only things other than the really open iconography and dialogue that link the powers of the witches together. Because we don't really know what they can all do, but invisibility is obviously something that they all have, that witches in general have a mastery over. Yeah, and, and I enjoyed the juxtaposition of the white and the black witches. Like, I, I kind of wish I had more to go off of. You know what I mean? Like, I wish you would have delved into that a little more. Yeah, which is... I, I find that really interesting because I, I mentioned to you guys before uh, when we were, you know, ha before the witch issues is that I've done a bit of studying in Wiccan and stuff like that. And there's, uh, there's a lot of issue taken with the idea of white and black witchcraft and the fact that there's any sort of differentiation or dealings with the devil. And, um, and I think in the history of witchcraft, uh, Wiccans in general tend to identify more with a healing presence. Um, so Asia Argento's character uh, is the daughter of a healing or a white witch as you would. Um, and it, that wasn't actually something that was developed until Catholicism took over and drove out the difference because there had to be a differentiation between people who were healing people with herbs and like a green witch, so to speak, somebody who is taking herbs and plants to heal somebody before modern medicine, that existed. And so they called themselves white witches, even though it was just their form of witchcraft. Um, and black witches were the ones who would cast spells. Even if those spells were healing spells, it was a different vein that like acceptance versus rejection and burning. And it's funny because I have such an interesting uh, kind of like perspective on that because having grown up in a Catholic Cuban household, my grandmother was a practicing uh, Santa. So she was like into Santeria and there was another version of that that was like brujeria and it was like the darker side of it. So it was very normative for us. Like people hear that my, my grandmother was a, you know, a Santeria practicer and they think that she was up to some shit. But the truth was, it was just like an evolved form of all that under the, like it, it was, you know, for the lack of a better term, like a white magic. And so, I, yeah, I find it all very fascinating. I don't mean to deviate, but for anyone listening, like I feel like Season of the Witch, Romero's Season of the Witch is one of the number one depictions. Just regard to, with regard to truthfulness um but i loved mother of tears because i think i don't love it love it but i love it because of what it did for the mythology it it created this very like solid totem i am i, I go back to suspiria and one of my favorite quotes from that film and it's true of all three films and that's why i like to look at it 
is um, bad luck isn't brought by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. And throughout the films, you see this idea of breaking and the uh, broken, breaking different things. You actually see broken mirrors in Inferno. And I think it does a really good job of culminating the ideology of the three, despite the fact that the actual movie is not done well. No, that's, I, I agree. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And yeah, that motif is definitely permeating all three films. Um, and I personally love how widespread her effect is. Like I, well, first of all, full disclosure, I think I even messaged you when it happened. The fucking baby off the bridge scene. <laughs> I was yeah. like, holy shnikes. Like, I was like, we are not in like 1970s anymore. You know, like. Um, and, and all the violence against children. And like, I don't know, I liked that it had an apocalyptic feel to it, especially because I'm so convinced that we are heading towards an apocalypse here in the US anyway. It's like, it's like, it's, it, it's like it misses, but you're so badly rooting for it that you almost let it go. The other two are so good and I want the complete trilogy. So I'll stand by Mother of Tears. I'll stand by the story because I want the complete trilogy. It's just tough because it's hard to get through this one. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely, like, toward getting, like, probably, like, the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie, like, I definitely started to, like, hit the little 10-second advance button. <gasps> and, like, yeah. I did. Because I was starting to get, like, I was getting a little, like, what's going on? Because I felt like scenes started to really drag like when she finally went underground like I felt like that scene took forever for her to come come upon the witches like how many different catacombs and tunnels are you going to go through that's fair listening and she can hear them and then how long does it take for you to finally get there and then you know the the detective comes and then they hang him up and then they stab him and again she's just standing there like watching she, all of this happen no. wait can I just cut in real quick right Please now are there are two fucking moments in this movie where I think she fails the people around her. The first one is when Martha and her girlfriend are making out and instead of fucking running in there and getting them. Oh my god, yes. Okay, continue. I was so fucking pissed. Like, in my notes, I was like, she left them. Like, I was, like, so pissed. You call? You're a bitch. Like, why couldn't you just fucking knock on the door? Well, and you know what? This, like, the more, like, quote-unquote powerful, powerful that she got, like, the, the more bigger, she was discovering, yeah. the bigger bitch she became. Like, when, and when she first met Marta, mm -hmm. and she was like, I'm not even here to talk to you. Like, what the fuck do you want? Like, stop talking to me. Oh, and it's like, bitch, this chick is trying to help you. Right. She's trying to give you information. And Sarah is just being, like, a super, super see you next Tuesday. No. Because all she doesn't want to talk to Marta. She wants to talk to somebody else. And it's like, yeah. slow your roll. She's trying to help you. Right. She and yeah, she's, she's a about. fucking thing for yourself. -er because at the end, <laughs> she just watches the dude get stabbed. She does. And she's just standing there. And she only gives herself up until the fucking monkey jumps up. She's a voyeur in this whole film. She watches her friend get dismembered by the three, like, golems. She watches while everyone else gets just destroyed and in the apartment and everything and then she watches well can i just say the cut is not too deep it is way too deep to recover from the detective the hot detective i will say he was pretty hot yeah he yes. was attractive yes. yeah yeah the, the the fine detective who meets her in the catacombs and doesn't arrest her right away 
comes along and he gets stabbed like like Jesus on the cross, man, like right in the gut. And she just doesn't do anything. She doesn't do anything until finally she grabs a spear and rips a tunic off. I, I mean, that that is sorority girl stuff. Really fucking basic ass shit. <laughs> like pumpkin spice latte, tunic in the fire, excuse me. All she had to do was take the fucking spear, take the red tunic off. Really? That's what she practiced witchcraft for? It's a tunic. It should go to your thighs. I'm just going to say. Right. And I mean, I don't mean fashion police but no. I mean, come it's on. A, You're a, a fucking witch. You can't do better. <laughs> like, you can't, you, 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 what, were you six when it was made? Like, come <laughs> on. No, I, yeah, I think you just said it. For all of your power, for this whole movie building up that you are this witch and you have all this power, and in the end, you defeat the bad by witch. By taking her clothes by off. Taking, yeah, by not even using your magic. You just, you just use a little bit of motor skills and doesn't even end up using all of the magic that we've been pretended to her to have yeah. to facilitate her death. And it's absurd to me that that is the buildup with no payoff. Me too. But that's, it's, that's where they lost me. At least in the end, they both get to climb out. They come to the surface and they just start laughing. Oh, and we all share a laugh. Yeah. You, know, you know what? We have fun here. And <laughs> it's been a good time. The sun's coming up. Oh, and oh, look, fun. I'm still alive. And, you know, your mortal wound yeah. apparently is not a mortal wound. Yeah. So let's just kind of hug it out, we bitch. We have fun. We have fun. Hug it out, bitch. Fade to black. Roll credits. Mother of tears. To be fair, you know, that's how Susie walked out of Tan's Academy in Suspiria. She walked out laughing. So if we're doing the whole roundabout that symbology, then okay, we all laugh at the end of the horrible misfortune of the world. You're not wrong. And to be fair, I've never killed a witch in her evil lair, so I don't know how I'd react. That is also true. I felt like it's one of those situations that we've talked about before, about at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. About how so good though. Well, that's what I mean. Like at the end. You know, you've gone through so much. You've watched all this horrific things happen around you. And it's kind of your natural reaction because if you're not going to laugh, you're going to cry. Like if you don't release this energy somehow, you know, you're going to go insane kind of thing. And I believed it in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I believed it in Suspiria. At the end of Mother of Tears, it, it just, it looked awkward. That, like, the awkward, like, you go to high five, but someone goes to fist bump. Mm -hmm. Like, there was that awkward, there was not chemistry between the two of them. It was very awkward. So that laugh at the end just kind of came off very awkward as well. Yeah. No, I 100% understand that. Like, that makes so much sense. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the end we all share a laugh. It does mirror a certain amount of catharsis that you experience from watching a horror film. You know, like, I, I am a firm believer in the you know, you watch it to get away from the external fears of your life kind of idea. Being in that situation, it didn't feel like the movie didn't give enough to me to make me feel like they should be laughing. True. I wasn't emotionally invested enough. Exactly. In their journey, yeah. which didn't help. Yeah. And yeah, I'm all about a good chuckle in a horror movie. I think it, you'd need that release of your tension. But yeah, it's just, it felt like out of place. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So anything else? Um, I find it, I, I did find it kind of interesting that in the three films, 
there's three films, there's three mothers, and if you watch like some of the auxiliary horror sequences, some of the deaths come in threes. Uh, which I know is a celebrity thing. People are like, oh, death comes in threes. So it's an archetype that was almost created by De Quincey because archetypes didn't even exist when he was writing, but he recognized them. And now to this day, we recognize things that come in threes. So it's interesting to me that there is this very missed trope of a, a third that came from Suspiria, but everybody just thinks is like, oh, the three fates, the three, but De Quincey and therefore Argento actually created it. Hmm. Yeah, I have three down as one of the motifs too. And I was, I, I, you're right. You're not wrong. A lot of our assumptions about it comes from like the fates, the furies, the muses, you know, like there's so many, holy trinity, you know, like there's so many three. Um, anything else, ladies? Remake, yay or nay? Like, are we excited? I'm, I'm excited. So I am torn on the remake, mainly because, okay, so this is the way Argento feels about it, is that if you are, the only way to remake a feeling, which is how he feels about Suspiria, is that it's more of a feeling than a film, then you're making a copy. Because uh, you have to do it scene for scene. Or you're actually developing the feeling, in which case, why not just make a new film? So that's my bottom line with it, is that I feel like the, there is no re the only reason this movie is named Suspiria is because it can get the bank of the horror fan. And so I, I, it makes me not want to give my money to it. Like I'll wait until it's free streaming because I think the only reason it exists is because somebody was like, I love this. Well, you know how I feel about remakes. So probably the only way that I'll watch this is if, is if our friend Matt Kelly makes me watch this movie. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm like Charlie Brown with the football. I'm like, okay, I'll take it out. And then I'm always <laughs> fucking terribly disappointed. You have to be one of the botchers. Which one do you choose and why? <laughs> uh, Major Tanabra. Really? I, I mean, okay. first of all, she lives in New York. And I assume it's rent controlled <laughs> because she still lives in this amazing building. Uh, but then she's she's also the cruelest of all the mothers. And so if you're going to ask me to be the mother of size, the mother of tears, the mother of darkness, I'm just going to choose the darkness. So we're, like we're going it. dark with that one. Okay. Jackie? I'm I'm gonna agree. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with that one. I I I like I like the idea, like what what Katie was talking about earlier. Like the other the other mothers kind of have keys to the outside world. They can do other things and this and that. I like to just I'm a homebody, so <laughs> I'm okay with being in the one little central location, and I'm gonna be the master of my own little domain here. Yeah, you'd look really good in that skeleton costume. I too. think so too. I really do. I think I'd fill that nicely. So uh, no, I'm, I'm I, yeah. And if you're gonna be bad, like go big or go home. Like be bad all the way bad. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And yes, I like I like the costume too because I can't be myself every day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Who who can? Um, so my choice is actually, so mother, mother, the mother of size is Meg to me. Like she's like the Debbie Downer of the three. 
Um, yeah. He's like the, you know, the pet Ed Peggy of their group. Um, mother, I'm going Mother Luckery Marum all day because she has some dope ass powers. First of all, she's got a fucking monkey. Okay? <laughs> Second of all, she can just control like all the witches. She doesn't have to do anything. But you also have to give up pants. Yeah, that's okay. I hate them as well. <laughs> I think I'd look great in a red tunic. And I gotta tell you, mine would fit appropriately. I'm all about delegating responsibility. So if I could get a, the young witches to do the work for me and I could just chill, I'm in. All right, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I mean, you have to have some badass eye makeup and, you know, ability to make speeches in catacombs. But other than that... I'm pretty good at both of those things. Um, all right, ladies, anything else about Mr. Argento and his Three Matters trilogy? No, uh, I'm going to say if you haven't seen them, see see them, watch yeah. them, um, push through Mother of Tears. You can make it. It's only an hour and a half out of your life. You're not getting that time back, but it'll be worth it to complete. You want to bookend it. Right. You want to bookend it and do the whole thing. That's right. Yeah. Like, I, I am 100% on board with Jackie, especially now that it's 2018. Like, you have the opportunity to watch all three of these back to back and enjoy Suspiria, love Inferno, and just you know, understand Mother of Tears. That's the perfect way to do it. All you're going to do is learn. And you can spend an hour in a university classroom or you can spend an hour and a half with a movie. If you want to learn how to do a great track shot or if you want to learn a thing or two about lighting and fucking beautiful aesthetics in movies, you should watch these. Oh, yeah. I think we don't we don't give them enough props for just how beautifully done these movies right. are. I mean, they don't call him the Italian Hitchcock for nothing. Katie, is there anything that you um, you want to promote for yourself? Um, only that I know uh, Marissa has been courting me for a little bit. You guys probably got a little bit more of the uh, historical context and the mythology context than you were expecting this evening. Uh, and that's because that's what I love. And I know Marissa likes to inject that too. So uh, hopefully in the future, we'll be talking more about that, Marissa. I'm very excited about trying to put something together. Then that's that's step one. And otherwise, you can I guess you can follow me at PsychoCC57 on Instagram. That is PsychoCC57 on Instagram. And uh, I'm going to try to post horror stuff for you friends and fans and ghouls and goblins and things out there. So... Uh, we hope that you guys have enjoyed our episode um, on these three Dario Argento movies, Suspiria, Inferno, and Mother of Tears. Uh, Katie, again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it, and I look forward to being a guest again in the future. Perfect. So don't forget to check us out on social media. Just search Jersey Ghouls and you will find us there. Please join us on our Facebook group. We are now on Instagram, so you can say hi to us there. And when it comes to the podcast, again, search Jersey Ghouls on all of the podcast apps. You're going to find us there. You can head to jerseyghouls.com to find the podcast, our blog, our movie reviews, and our smiling faces. Sleep all day. Party all night. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Nothing like nocturnal ways, 24 hour shades, party power. Wake up at 5 p.m., that's a right about when magic hour. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 